God is good. All the time. How's the volume? Can you hear me okay? Or does it need up, down? It's perfect. Up, little up. No, it's good. I have a hard time hearing because it's now it's missing me. So uh, you can hear me. Hey, hi. Welcome all our online guests as well. Good to see you to our Tuesday afternoon Bible study. My name is Michael Beneshek. I'm one of your warm heart pastors here, and it is a joy to have you with us. Let's pray. God above, it is a beautiful day outside, but it's also beautiful in here. We have some wonderful people, and we have a wonderful, wonderful book to read, and we just pray. Uh, for those that we lifted up this morning, this afternoon, those on our hearts as well, for those who are traveling, for those who need a little bit more TLC, may the words from this book cause us to be a little bit more loving, a little bit more forgiving, and a little bit more Christ-like. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to get to one of the uh, the first miracle, uh, a miracle of this of the. Uh, this is a miracle. The other ones were signs. Uh, we're going to call this a miracle. Uh, Jesus feeds the five thousand. Uh, can we get a volunteer to read uh, that first paragraph, verses uh, one through four? Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. John now records some of the acts and the words of Jesus in the Galilee region. Everything else has been so far in Jerusalem or in Judea, just outside of Jerusalem. Now he is traveling to Galilee, which is north. John mainly recorded things that Jesus did mostly down south, but sometimes included material that the other gospel writers wrote of, mostly in the Galilean region. John was the last gospel written, so he had uh, access to both Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. Uh, this is one of the only stories that we're going to get here in a moment that you find in all four of the, uh, of, of the, of, of the gospels. Um, Christmas only gets two Gospels. Easter originally only had three Gospels. Uh, the Gospel of Mark didn't have the uh, resurrection story at the end. They added something a couple hundred years later. Uh, uh, let's see, Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday is on all four, but they're both different. One has palms, one has stones. It's different. This is one of the only stories we have coming up that is all in, 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 in all four. And really, this is when Jesus' popularity really starts to take off. A great multitude followed. Um, they saw his signs. Uh, Luke chapter 9 tells us that Jesus also taught this taught uh, the teaching, this multitude. John just has them showing up. Um, John is the only one who tells us that this, this took place at the time of the Passover. Uh, it is possible that this great multitude was made up of Galilean pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. They're already out and about, and they're on their way uh, down, down south. Passover. Um, if you had to guess, which book of the Bible do we find Passover for the first time? I'm going to test the Bible class. In Exodus, because it's a part of the Exodus story. So this, uh, they're going to celebrate the Passover, which is 1,400 years before uh, the time of Jesus. So it was already an old, old uh, 
celebration. He went up on the uh, high up on the mountain, high ground uh, is is how they call it in the Greek. Uh, along this part of the lake, it is really a kind of a cliff face that goes down that that goes down from the top. You are you're kind of looking down at the beach and you're looking looking out at the sea. So we got all these people following Jesus into the wilderness. Let's see what happens. Let's do verses 5 through 9. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of these to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Why Philip? Why ask Philip? Why put Philip on the spot? Philip is actually from that region. Uh, he's from a town just down the road. So it, Jesus could be looking at him and like, Philip, do you have any ideas? Uh, you know this area. Where can we... Where do, where do we buy all this uh, food that we're supposed to provide? And you could also ask, why is Jesus supposed to feed them anyway? Aren't these... I, I did a sermon once on this one called Be Prepared. I was a Boy Scout. Be prepared. These people are not prepared. Uh, they were expecting to go to Jerusalem. Maybe they heard Jesus was over here. And so they went over here to, to, to hear what he had to say. And they didn't, they didn't have enough food to, uh, to last. Uh, Mark says that they had been listening to Jesus teach all day. Um, so here we have Jesus testing Philip, for he already knew what the miracle was was, was going to be. Philip already seen Jesus do many miracles. There should have been no question about the divine resources that Jesus had. It says half a year's wages. Does anyone else's Bible have a different take to it besides half a year? 200 denarii. Yeah. Uh, denarii is about uh, a, a one day's wage, so two hundred denarii you could say is half half a year. Um, and again, it's even even that with the uh, the five thousand that is not going to feed even if you had half a year's wages. Uh, that's still too much, too many people, not enough food. And even if they could buy food, there was nowhere to buy it from. Philip thought in terms of money, how much money it would take to carry out God's work in a small way. And uh, Andrew, Andrew comes to the rescue, Simon Peter's brother. There is a small boy here. Uh, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Andrew, his nickname is the Usher. Uh, Andrew the Usher. Now he is ushering this small boy. He's throwing him under the bus, and he says, this kid has food. Don't worry, everybody. There's a boy here with food. And I could see everyone's eyes going, excuse me, <laughs> not, not so much food. Um, lad, in this case, means small boy, little boy, think, think seven, eight years old-ish. And uh, what, kind of, what kind of bread did he have? Barley. Uh, barley, simple food. It's more often fit for animals than for humans. This boy probably came from a, from a poor family. There's an old Jewish resource called the Talmud, uh, where a passage where one man says... Um, one guy says, there's a fine crop of barley, and another man says, tell it to the horses and donkeys, meaning like we humans don't care because we don't eat this. 
uh, barley scarcely uh, bore about one-third of the value of wheat at that time. Uh, two small fish. Uh, the or, uh, the other Gospels use the word for fish, Ith- Ith- Ithacus. Uh, John calls them a different name, like calls them sardines, little things. Not even two big fish. Calls them anchovies, if you will, little guys. There's not much to work with, but God doesn't need much. In fact, God does not need any help at all. But he often deliberately restrains his work until he has our participation. One question I'd have if I had to preach this again is, why did Jesus need the starter food to begin with? Jesus, Jesus could make bread. He could, if, if, he's, if, if he's that mystical and he's all that powerful, he, he could just make food. Why does, he, why does he ask for the five loaves and two fish? I would say for faith. It questions all of our faith. If you've got five barley loaves and two fish, you and I know that that would hardly feed a family of six, and you've got 5,000. So it takes the faith behind the action to get a result. That'll preach. Also, I think it had something to do with uh, the people had a basic notion of the world and material things, and this was a way for him to take the material things and... uh, show God's works through multiplying what little they had. Gotcha. Um, This probably has more to do with the next section or not. I don't know if I'm stepping on your toes or not. But if, if they were on their way to the Passover, if they were traveling, they would be traveling with food. And this is the opportunity to sit down and share with others. And if, if the boy was starting to share um, his loaves and his fish, uh, whether he did it reluctantly or not, but he was still sharing, and other people sat down and started sharing what they had brought along. So it's, it's a lesson, I think, in uh, sharing, uh, in companionship, in uh, being neighborly. Yeah, there's several ways to look at this miracle. It, it, it is a miracle that Jesus could make all this food from from this. But maybe the real miracle is, is if <laughs> uh, pe- people saw the generosity of that child and actually shared what they had too. So both both could be true. It could be miraculous, and it could be a, a, a lesson on on giving. If I if if I got a pocket full of of, of cash and I see someone else donate just a little bit everything they had I'd, all right, all right okay, here's, here's my food that's the miracle in my heart <laughs> to, to, to soften my hard heart when I read this passage I always think about communion and how we can take a loaf of bread and different ways but we used to go up and just pick a little piece of it and we could have 300 or more people there and it never even took the whole loaf. So um, it just reminds me of sharing communion with, with the congregation. Yeah. And I think when you're going up for communion, as you take the bread, you're also, how many other people are back? <laughs> okay. And you kind of, well, that's why potlucks are great. That's why that kind of, where 
I, I got to teach my kids the lesson of like there's there's eight of us and there's 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 ten rolls, and a kid grabs four. I'm like, whoa, time out, time out, time out. <laughs> make sure everybody has a chance before you go back. <laughs> All right, let's do verses ten through thirteen. We just we this this kid gave us food. Let's see what happens. Ten to thirteen. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those who were seated as much as he wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had had all, when they had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Make the people sit down. Kind of makes you wonder, why weren't they sitting beforehand? A lot of times uh, when a rabbi was teaching, the rabbi would sit. Everyone else would stand in the synagogue. Everyone standing, rabbi sitting. We have gotten away from that, haven't we? When I preach, I'm the one standing, and, and you're all sitting. But back then, it was the other way around. Uh, and, and so Jesus is done teaching. Uh, he gets up, and everyone else uh, now has a chance to sit down. Jesus has a huge catering job to fulfill. Uh, one might say, I'm trying to remember that psalm. Help me out. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He sort of my soul, but he also he, he lets me sit down in the green pastures. This kind of has that feel to it, uh, uh, just a little bit. My cup overrunneth. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You prepare a table before me. So the men sat down. Uh, where are the ladies? The ladies are also there. Um, but again, in true uh, Bible times format, um, they, they count the men. About 5,000. So you can assume there's many more thousands of people there. Jesus administered everything in an orderly way. Um, he had the disciples pass it around. He gave thanks. Uh, he only had a few loaves of bread and a few fish, but he did give. He gave thanks. To me, that's another part of the story. 5,000 people. Lord, I want to give thanks for this. And I'm part of me would question, like, this is it. This is what we're giving thanks for. Um, but Jesus can make miracles happen. Always, always give thanks. Took the loaves, gave it to his disciples. The miracle rested in the hands of Jesus, not in the distribution. Um, a moment ago, they, uh, the food belonged to this kid, but now it belonged to Christ. Um, and the multiplication of food. It, uh, honestly, it wasn't done with much fanfare. It wasn't a like it. Ta-da! And, and all of a sudden, there's a ton of food. He passed it out to his disciples, and somehow, the food just kept going. And the disciples passed it out, and somehow, it kept going. The disciples passed it out. So there's twelve disciples, five thousand men, and 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 ladies, and all that. And I don't know how long it would take to cater that kind of meal, but they the the food kept coming. Uh, and it wasn't like uh, in the people in the back who couldn't hear anyway. They had no idea of this miracle. They just they just saw food. It wasn't like there was lightning and 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 the Lord 
spoke down from heaven. Voila, <laughs> abracadabra, here's more food. Uh, he always kept things uh, very simple. We don't know if it, uh, if it multiplied after he gave thanks or when it, was, when it was in the disciples' hands or as it was passed to, the, to each uh, uh, receiver. But somewhere, somewhere along the line, the food was multiplied. Eating and drinking in the Old Testament is a sign of prosperity and often used of blessings of people of God to enjoy it in the promised land. If you think back to the promised land story, this is a land filled with milk and honey, food. Everywhere you go, there's food. And God bless Methodists. You all like your food. When we gather, we, we enjoy food. Some of us enjoy it too much. I get that. But uh, it's always there. The disciples did not understand or anticipate this miracle. Jesus invited them to participate in it. Um, but they also, had to, they also had to do their work. If they, didn't, if they didn't help, no one could have been fed. Gather up the fragments so that nothing is lost. Jesus is generous but never wasteful. Uh, the term basket that they use here, I mean, it, it's really a large basket. I'm thinking like a picnic basket, but it, it literally is a large, large basket used to haul fish in from the, from the sea or other, other bulky objects. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The way Jesus provided bread for a multitude in the open air, something of a wilderness, reminded these people how God worked through Moses to feed Israel with, with manna uh, out in the wilderness. Truly, this is a prophet. Is that a capital P or a lowercase p? Capital P. In, uh, in, Mos in, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses shares that someday a prophet will come and will teach you everything. Uh, there will be a prophet like me for in your midst. Uh, him, him you shall hear. Uh, that's that's kind of where this is coming from. If the coming prophet was to be like Moses, it made sense that he would also feed the people as miraculously as, as, as Moses did. Now, this crowd was willing to support Jesus as long as he gave them what they wanted. Now here it was bread. They're, they were about to come to, to take him by force to make him king, king as a political title. They were willing to support him because they wanted to use him to throw off the Roman oppressors, uh, either in Judea or indirectly Herod in Galilee. Uh, suddenly there was this un unusual man named Jesus. He had this miraculous power. So they must have said something like this to themselves. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we can get someone like this to be king? And he departed again to a mountain by himself. He was not—he was not impressed or seduced by a crowd that wanted to make him king. He was—he is a king, but not that kind of king. He saw the crowds in great excitement and were meaning to come and violently carry him off and declare him to be their king, like he would have no say in this. Uh, and this is this is probably bad because they already have a, a ruler, and the rulers that they have usually don't like it when someone else says. Someone else is a ruler. Uh, so let's, let's, let's back away from this. Um, what kind of king is Jesus? He's, he's the king of kings. King of kings, the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. 
king of our heart, king of our lives. All right, so here we go. So they just fed the 5,000. You have 5,000 to 10,000 people who want to take Jesus, make him king. He withdrew to a mountain by himself, up the mountain. You have the lake, you have the people, you have Jesus, okay? All right. Let's get the next story. But keep that in mind. Lake, people, Jesus. Let's do verse, ah, that big paragraph, 16 to 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the, the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus told his disciples to get into the boat. Uh, it doesn't say it here, but that's uh, the other Gospels say. Jesus says, go to the boat. I'll catch up later. They set off across the Sea of Galilee. Um, yeah, the word in Mark is compelled. Jesus compelled his disciples to go. It was already dark. The disciples, most of them were what of what occupation? Fishermen. So they had been on lakes before in daytime and, and, and in dark. Um, they had been on this very lake. And then when they got into the boat, the, th the thought of rowing across at night did not concern them. It's really not that big. It's, it's, it's a big lake, but it's, it's, it's not like 50 miles this way and 30 miles that way. Um, it is, it's, it's about 20 to 30 miles this way and five to six miles this way. It's, it's, it's doable. But Jesus had not come to them. Uh, this is actually the second time that Jesus dealt with his disciples on a stormy sea of Galilee. Um, in the first, first storm out of Matthew, uh, it, was, we, it wasn't in John, but in Matthew, Jesus was present with him in the boat, and he rebuked and calmed the storm, be still. In, Ma in, uh, in Matthew, the story, uh, the story that we're dealing with today comes after that story. So this will be the second time that the uh, disciples have a, have a boat story with Jesus. Then the sea arose. The wind alone was bad enough, but also whipped up the waters, made for troublesome seas. A great wind was blowing, and it blows from west to east. That's almost all the prevailing winds across the globe, because the way the earth spins, and all our wind comes from, from the west, right? For the most part? For the most part. Uh, sea of Galilee, 600 feet below sea level, and a cup-like depression among the hills. Uh, it can whip up some, some nasty storms because of uh, where it's at. They had rode about three or four miles. They saw Jesus walking on the sea. Did I get to that part yet? Yep. Um, saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near the boat. They were, they were afraid. It's a ghost. And uh, do not worry, it is I. <laughs> kind of made me laugh how they said, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him in the boat. <laughs> like, uh, like, now, if you're just a, a ghost walking, we don't want you on this boat. Um, and immediately, and I, honestly, I have never caught this part before. Immediately, the boat reached the shore where they were heading. They were still miles off when Jesus hopped into the boat. 
And they help them into the boat, and they look around and like, we're, we're already here. That's, that's the impression that the Greek is giving us. It's not like they got them into the boat, and then they rode several more miles, and, and, they, and they made it. Um, they're, they're, they're there. Uh, I never, I'm a pastor. I've never caught that uh, when, I've, when I've read this before. In other, other versions of the story, what else happens? Peter walks on the water. We don't get Peter walking on the water on this one, do we? No. Different, different, uh, different gospel. He didn't walk very far. He tried and then, yeah. Yeah. How am I doing this? Uh, take, take one minute and tell the person next to you, if you've got someone next to you, uh, the stormiest seas you've ever been on, or the stormiest waters, the choppiest waters you've ever been on. Okay, how many people's choppiest waters were on lakes? I'm just curious. I've been on Lake Michigan when it is nasty. Uh, Oregon coast. Canada Western coast of Ooh, yeah. Okay. How about just the ocean, wherever you are? Yeah? Hawaii? Hong Kong? Last time I took my mother-in-law to the, to the beach, we were on the beach, and uh, we, I saw this wave coming. Like, we were away, and we saw this wave coming. A sneaker wave, let's go. And I turned around and I started going. And, and uh, about 10 yards back, I look, look around, and she's like two yards. She, she does not move fast. And, and, and the water's up to her knees. I'm like, I just left my mother-in-law out here. <laughs> How to explain this to my wife? All right, I better go back and get her. <laughs> sneaky or sneaky, sneaky waves. All right, let's do 22 to uh, 24. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had, that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from the Tiberias land landed near the uh, place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So the next day... Uh, they're looking around for, all right, the, the, the boat that the disciples came on is gone. But they did not see Jesus get onto this boat. And Jesus does not appear anymore. And so they get the idea that Jesus is, he circumvented them. He, he got around them somehow. These, are, these people who had the food, these are not disciples. These are people who would learn from Jesus, uh, but they're just regular citizenry of Galilee. But they really like what he has to say, and they really want him to be king. And so they're, they're now, uh, forget the Passover, we're on a manhunt. Where did this guy go? And uh, so they're, they're off, off to go find him. And I'll, I'll, I'll read the next verse just so we can get to it. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? They're not interested so much in what he has to teach. 
they are not so much interested in becoming disciples. They like the bread, and they like what this guy could do. And hey, if, if, if Jesus, if you run for office, we will vote for you. And that's 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 kind of the attitude that these that these people have. And Jesus Jesus calls them out on it. Uh, we're going to do a big big bite here. Let's do twenty. 26, 26 to 33. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus does not answer their question. He gives the, he, maybe he is a good politician. He gives them an answer to a question he wanted to, to, to answer. Um, if, if, if the answer would have been something like, I walked over the Sea of Galilee in the nighttime to help my disciples, and I miraculously transported my, the boat across the remaining distance of the sea, that is when and how I came to be here. But that's not what he says. You seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Because you want more food. Maybe, maybe real food, maybe a, a leader. That's why you're after me. That's why you follow me. They wanted the bread, but more than bread. They wanted, they wanted more miracles, more, more things to see, uh, I guess. Do not labor for the food which perishes. Uh, those asking this question of Jesus went to a lot of trouble to follow and find him. Uh, yet their work was for the food which perishes. That might fill a stomach and rule the earthly kingdoms, and Jesus wanted them to labor for the food that endures for, for everlasting life. Uh, he, he, what did he call himself? The Son of Man? He avoids using the term Messiah. Jesus never says, I am the Messiah. That's a term that we give to him. Uh, even, even Christ. Who do, who do people say that I am? And Peter's the one who says, you are the Christ. Never does Jesus say, I am, I am the Christ. Uh, he, he likes the term son of man. Uh, it's politically in the middle. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm one of you. Uh, born of God and born of, born of man. I guess the sense behind their question is kind of just tell us what to do so we can get more of what we want from you. What do you want us to do for you to give us more bread? Uh, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. A parent parent does not want only obedience from their child, but they want that relationship of trust and love 
And obedience is how you get that trust and love. And the same is true with God. God just does not want obedience. He wants that relationship, that trust, and that that love. And uh, that's what these people are missing. We have a lot to get to in the next. <laughs> uh, let's do verses 34, 34 to 40. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Give us this bread always. We wonder if those who traveled across the Sea of Galilee to find and meet Jesus were hungry when they had this conversation with Jesus. They wanted the material bread Jesus provided, and they, they wanted it always. I am. I am the bread of life. There are, I believe, seven of these statements in John. I am the bread of life. I am the gate and the way. I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. I am. Does that ring anybody's ears Bible-wise? In the Exodus story, when Moses was at the burning bush, and Moses says, God, what is your name? And, and, and God, I am. It's the same words that Jesus is using here. Uh, if you would read this in the original language, this would scream, he is talking with the same language that God spoke, uh, the the divinity. <laughs> Basically, Jesus is saying, I am the same way that God was using it at the, at the, at the burning bush. Not an abstract way, but I, I literally, I literally am. All that the Father has given me, all is, all is, uh, all means all not cast out. I'm here not to do my own will, but the will of, of the one who sent me. Um, just as Jesus invited them to come to him, he also reminds them that he was, he was safe to come unto. He was doing his Father's will. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. The wonderful destiny, the wonderful destiny of all who, are, who, have given, who are given to the Father and come to Jesus. Well, let's see how the, how the audience took all these words. Let's do verses 41. Uh, let's go, just go all the way down, all the way down that column through 52, 41 to 52. At this time, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? 
Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's probably a good question, isn't it? Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Uh, the people complained about Jesus, thinking that he had said that uh, he, he was making himself too big. Too big for his, how's that old phrase go? Too big for his britches. Uh, too exalted. Um, six times in this context, he says that he came down from heaven. Uh, his claim to heavenly origin is unmistakable. Uh, this was one of the real difficulties of the contemporaries of Jesus, and I'm kind of in their boat like it it, it makes sense. Uh, the Messiah was, the, the belief was the Messiah was to come from the clouds, suddenly to appear. But Jesus had gone, grown quietly uh, up among them. Uh, it says the Jews complained, not as we might expect the Galileans. Uh, John identifies this particular unbelieving crowd with the characteristically unbelieving Jews. Uh, they grumbled. Maybe some Bibles say murmured. Uh, it's kind of a... Blah, 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 blah. Uh, have you ever been in a crowd where someone says something and you just kind of hear the... Blah, blah, blah. That's, that's what Jesus heard here, the uh, discontent. It's the confused sounds that runs through the crowd when they get angry in, in opposition. And again, the Jews thought that they were all chosen by God by virtue of their physical, natural birth. And Jesus makes it clear again that God must draw them uh, before they can come to God. Everyone who responds to the Father will respond to the Son. Um, draw, in this case, kind of means, uh, they use the same word for uh, like, a, like, a, like a tugboat towing a ship. It, it draws it through the inlet or dragging a cart or pulling a rope to, to set sails. Uh, that kind of drawing. And I will raise them up on the last day. Uh, Jesus draws, uh, the, those who come to Jesus drawn by the Father will receive eternal life and be resurrected. I think we had this conversation two or three weeks ago. Is it, is, does heaven happen now or does it happen at the end of time? And I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of thinking now, but if you do fall asleep in death, you're asleep and it's just like that for you, if that makes sense. I'm guessing most people in here have had, I, I had surgery for the very first time a couple of weeks, a uh, couple, couple of years ago, not surgery. It was a, it was a procedure where they knock you out. How about that? I'll leave it at that. And I've never had that kind of, and it was just kind of weird, like da, 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 da. And then like the next thing you're like, oh, I'm here. How did, how did, I'm happy I missed what they did. <laughs> but it was like, it was like, how, how did I get here? 
Uh, it took my mind a, a moment to figure out where I was. Uh, I am the bread of life. He repeated and continues to use this metaphor. Just as bread is necessary for physical life, so Jesus is necessary for spiritual and eternal life. I like how he bluntly says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. What happened to them? Man, they died. Uh, he's going to say, just to, just to rub it in, he's going to say it again in a moment uh, uh, in our scripture. Um, but the spiritual bread Jesus offers is even more greater than the manna Israel ate in the wilderness. Uh, what they ate only gave them temporal life. What Jesus offers brings eternal life. And now we're going to get to the communion piece, the flesh to eat. Can we uh, do verses 53 uh, through that whole paragraph, 59, 53 to 59? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He, he said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Okay, now now he is... He's in Capernaum, which is also in Galilee, and he is. They they have given him the pulpit. He is a hometown boy, uh, roughly from this area now, and uh, they give him they give him the pulpit. And it's possible that the gospel or the gospel, the uh, uh, book of Isaiah, uh, which is a common book to read at this time, uh, and he's using it as a as, as a preaching point. Uh, there's there's books there, there's lines in here that come straight out of Isaiah. We can read this and think communion. This is before they instituted the Last Supper. So you can see their confusion about flesh flesh to eat, blood to drink. When John is writing this, it's been around for a couple generations now. Um, there was a... Uh, in, in the Catholic Church, of course, they believe that the body and the blood uh, are really present in the bread and the, and the juice. Uh, when the Romans were taking care of the Christians in the in the gladiator pit, uh, that was one of the charges against them. They believe in cannibalism. They literally eat someone every Sunday. Or they say they do. But we kind of take it as it's just, it's, it's, it's metaphor for us. But for Jesus, it's not so meta much metaphor. He goes, my, my, this bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Uh, he could also be meaning his own sacrifice coming up. Uh, he's going to—he's the sacrificial lamb. He's going to give his life uh, for his people. Pastor Mike, I know we don't have much time today to, but I. Several times he says, "Unless the Father brings them to me," so that leaves a whole other question, doesn't it, about. What about the people that God does not bring? Yes. Yeah. So 
in God creating everyone and providing Jesus as the way to our salvation. Some people, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that, well, I shouldn't say that. Um, it, it's, to me, it screams predestination kind of things. Where Yes. But it's also that God brings them, but then you would think God would bring everyone or give everyone the opportunity. Or everyone has the opportunity, but not everyone answers that, that call. call. Yes. So a long time ago in my evangelical uh, uh, ideology, my job was to go save people. And my job was to... Uh, to go give my witness, and I have my little witness in my pocket right here, and I would just wait for an opportunity for someone to come up and and say something, and then I would give them, I would give them my witness. I got it right here, and my and if they and if they were saved, great. And if they weren't saved, then I did not do my job. I messed up somehow. Somewhere along the line, I've learned that I can't save anybody. It's not my job. My job is just to open the door or share a little bit about my life and a little bit about my journey, and maybe they could open up their door and let let the Lord in. I can't give anybody Jesus into their hearts. And all of a sudden, the pressure was off. It's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is to be faithful with my life and in sharing my life and in, in, in providing a witness I love my kids, and I hope someday they all walk with the Lord. I got a feeling, you know, out of three of them, I'm hoping, I'm hoping two. Maybe I should be optimistic with one. I don't know. But I know parents who look at their kids and like, I messed up. They're not, they're not, they're not walking in the Lord. I messed up. No, you, you gave them what you could. It's the Lord who touches the heart. So I, I, I want I want to let you off the hook and off that off that guilt train if you're on that one, of uh, maybe I should have just tried harder. Sometimes when we try harder, we push them away a little more. My thought is that God pours grace on all of us. It's a free gift, but if we won't accept it, that's our choice. He gave us free will, and not. Not only I as a parent, but I as a grandparent have to set the example, pray for that, and like you say, leave it to the Holy Spirit to soften the heart, to open mind and the eyes and the ears, and work that way, and just give them to God every day. No, that's a good phrase at the end. You'd, at the end of the day, you just give it... Lord, it was a bad day. I give it to you. <laughs> Please redeem something out of this. <laughs> yeah. Lord, I gave you my kids. I did my best. I gave you my parents. I did my best. Okay, let's do verses 60 to the end. We're going we're gonna to just take this one big bite. On hearing this, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the man, Son of Man ascend to where he was before? 
The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Do you not want to leave too? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Because Jesus was not going to be their, their little puppet and do these little miracles and just keeping on giving them bread and turn the water into wine and all that, a lot of people started to fall away. You are not the one that we want to follow. And Jesus turns to the twelve. And it, it, it is. It is blatantly sarcastic uh, in, in, in this <laughs> You don't want to leave, too, do you? <laughs> like it's in every version and uh, of, of of English and and even in the Greek, it has that little twist of Jesus knows the answer. I love I loved it when my mom would ask questions that I knew there was only one answer to. Like, you want to clean your room, don't you? Like, yes, that's the same kind of language that the, this is here. So disciples, uh, the disciples and followers are falling away, and this literally could be the end of the movement if the twelve, uh, if the twelve chosen, also choose to walk away as well. Do you want to leave too? Simon Peter answers, "Where, where, where, where will we go?" And I love this line: "You have the words to eternal life." We read scripture. For the stories and, and, and to get a more nuance of, 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 of what's in the book. But somewhere embedded in here in the red letters, if you have got the old red letter version of the Bible, Jesus has the words to eternal life that touches the heart, that helps us to be, become more loving, more forgiving, more, more Christ-like. That is why we're here. I pray that something today um, in today's reading helps us along that path, that we're not one of the disciples that says, Jesus, you're not the one that we're looking for. We're going we're gonna to go find someone else. He's the one who has the words to eternal life. And the family of God said, amen. Amen.